0: So today, we, this is the last part. It's part four. And what we talked about so far is Christian practice and form, formation. And uh, the, really the best definition I thought would be is this one. Let's read that together. Prayer is defined as recognition of God, transformation by God, and union with God. So it's rec- recognizing God, noticing God, being changed by God, And being with God. Almost in that progress, but also at the same time, in simultaneous way. Right? So, we're sort of, we've done like part one, stage one and stage two. We're moving more into stage three, where essentially, your prayer life matures, and we're talking about recognizing God and becoming changed. So, stage three (coughs) is the part that we listen to God. Right? And last week, we talked about the prerequisite for listening to God is solitude. Being quiet, being alone, being able to focus on God. We talked about different prayers we can help and exercise you can do to help yourself being in that. But what's different, unique about this stage is from stage one and stage two, talking at God, talking to God, you're at the stage where there's a complete shift from being focused on yourself. Now the focus is on God you notice God, because you moved away from thinking about me, 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 to you recognize, oh, God is there. Let me think about God. Let me think on God. So, being in this stage, and stuff that we're going to talk about, is that maybe true to you? Depends on where you are in life. Even for me, some of the songs we sing, like, I'll Give You My Life, stuff, you know, the words of the song, I sing it, or the words in the Bible, I sing it, And I say, I say, ah, I'm not quite there yet. I don't know if I would say that as my confession yet. And when we get into this stage, you get to do things that's not necessarily true to you. But what do we do when we want it, but it's not yet true? We pretend like it's true. We pretend. So this is a stage where maybe your life is still all about you. (laughs) Maybe when you pray, all you think about is you and your problems and what you want to say. But, when we get into the exercises, you pretend like, I'm going to pretend like it's not about me. I'm going to pretend like, I want to recognize God. I want to notice God. So that's important. In the shift, it becomes from my agenda and my needs to God's agenda and God's mission. Even though you're not there yet, pretend that you are. So in that pretend, um, you are transformed. You're changed. So we're going to talk about a couple of things. But... What we have been talking about, even though we talked about it, essentially this is something that we have to do. This is action that we have to do, right? We don't just, your faith just doesn't just grow. I wish my faith would grow, and then it just grows, right? You don't, you know, we don't just somehow become spiritual. We don't somehow just end up being changed and transformed. You know, if you want to learn about Jesus, you have to put actions into it right go to bible study be in the community be in the church if you want to be part of a community you have to be part of the community right it requires actions so when we're talking about actions we're talking about christian practice christian practice is what we what we say when we're talking about actions for these things so today we're going to talk about christian practice and we'll talk also about uh, the the practice of noticing god and some of the red flags that goes. You can see I, you know, I got tables in here. You know, there's a lot going on here, um, and I put in a lot of this. Now, the essential part of noticing God, I mean, the, the listening to God, is about noticing God. Noticing God leads to our desire to engage more in the Christian practice, and then Christian practice fuels. Our desire to be in presence of God more. So these are, they are vice versa. They fuel each other. And we become more and more transformed and more and more engaging in these practices. So let me pray. And uh, we'll dive into these things. Hopefully not too long. Father, we pray that you would help us open our mind. Be willing to put our mind and put ourselves there to pretend and, and think what if. And we trust that your presence and your spirit will guide us and guide our thoughts and guide our conviction. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, so let's spend some time talking about Christian practice. Christian practice, I have a principles here. They're very much like uh, other principles we talked about. The three highlights being uh, Christian practice and formation. The result is being lives formed by the Holy Spirit. The goal of Christian practice is, is to encounter... God, and Christian formation and practice, God is the host and the sole provider. They kind of go together in this thing. So come take a look at it. Five principles of Christian practice, and these are important for us to know, because when we talk about Christian practice or spiritual discipline, we can think wrongly of it, and therefore be burdened, and go, I don't want to do this, this is too much, just find burden of it. So we need to understand these things. So first... Christian practice is never an end in themselves. We're not doing it just to do it. And I think the fault of many people are, they're doing it just to do it. Like, I have my morning prayer time, I'm doing it. And I'm doing it so I can do it. Right? These are not the end in themselves. They're only means, they basically just create space for us to encounter God. That's why we do it. Number two, Christian practice is not a set of rules. Uh, Richard Foster says this is the, this is the death of Christian uh, discipline, Christian practice. When you make it a law and make a make set of rules, it becomes nothing but a burden, nothing but an assignment, and it's no longer a way of life or voluntary thing, right? It's not a set of rules. Number three, Christian practice is not a sign of spirituality. Just because you get up every morning at 5 a.m. to pray for two hours doesn't mean you are spiritually mature. Christian practice is not a sign of spirituality for anyone to boast about or brag about because everyone is on different path. Right? When we talk about faith stages, just because I'm in a mature stage doesn't mean I can boast about, about it or look down on other people because it's a journey. Just like Larry can brag about being 23 years old, 22 years old, to Hannah. Hannah, look Hannah, you're only 8, I'm 22. He's done nothing to it, right? He's done nothing for it. Same thing. Everyone is on different paths, different stages, different journey. It's not a sign of Christian maturity, or that you're more spiritual. Number four, Christian practice puts us in the path for transformation. It means for us to receive grace. Basically what it means, we put ourselves before God. Just because you're in the path doesn't mean you get changed. It means we're only putting ourselves in the path. Opening ourselves so God may come and change us. The Christian practice itself does not change us. It does not. It's God's presence that comes through it that changes us. Does that is that clear? Mm-hmm. It means you could be like most disciplined person and there are people that are so disciplined. You go to Midwest, I lived in Kansas City for two years. You go to Midwest, there are these people who are really disciplined? They read Bible every day. They pray two, three hours every day. They go to church. They do these things. They hand out tracts. Um, go to, you know, they do all these things, but they don't love. Their lives aren't. They're not changed. Right? So these are not what changes you. It's the presence of God. What results from it that changes you. Number five, last one. Christian practice create the foundation for ministry. This is important. Unless you change, if Christian mission is not the byproduct of Christian practice, it's not authentic. You pray, you read, you do all these things, but you don't do anything in, you know, serving the God's kingdom, loving others, loving God, then it's not authentic. What it is, is nothing but just a discipline, pointless discipline. So, does that make sense? These five principles, I believe, they are very important for us to keep and understand. Any questions so far? They're not there in any particular order. No, not any order. Those are just five principles that we want to keep remembering and keep in my mind, keep in our mind. Let me uh, tell you, Eugene Peterson, whom uh, we read uh, his book uh, last month, that I suggested a book. Eugene Peterson talks about Christian practice, and he has a book on Christian practice, and he says, three things are important for Christian practice. He says, Christian practice is basically creating monastery without walls in our lives. And three core rules are, one, common worship, Sunday church. This is the primary uh, core value of Christian practice. Number two, daily praying of the Psalms. And he's wrote books about Psalms. He says, the whole generation in the Bible and early church for 4,000 years Christians have read Psalms to draw closer to God two right three is frequent recollected prayer it's all the prayers that we talked about these three are the core three of Christian practice that things that we had to do in order for us to draw closer to God all of you are keeping number one right all of you keeping number one. We can do more and work on the two and three. And that's what we're going to engage when we get to the retreat and hope to do that. And he says everything else is optional. Um, because this guy named Richard Foster presents 12 Christian practice disciplines. Eugene Peterson says everything else is really optional. It's you know, But these are the three core things. But we do want to look at Richard Foster's book. This is a book that sort of change, the shifting shifted the church to this direction of we really want to focus on drawing closer to God again because it's something that we have forgotten um, in, you know, in recent years so let's go ahead and look at this these are pretty fun and I can kind of highlight the things that we're going to do some of these, these things as a church we're doing it and I said Christian practice is not individual it's personal but it's a community work right we do it together so let's go ahead and look there he's divided them into three parts inward outward corporate now first inward is meditation and uh, meditation it's very biblical uh in psalm 63 verse 6 says i think of you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night and you read a psalm you read the old testament there's repeating things by people of God saying, I meditate on this, I meditate on you. So meditation is the first one, and this is, it's biblical. We create basically space for allowing God to come into our hearts, and that's meditation. And I, we talked about how this is different from Eastern type of meditation, which is about emptying mind. And it's not. It's Christian meditation is actually filling our mind. Um, Eastern meditation is about detaching ourselves from the world, like Buddhism. Christian meditation is actually attaching to God and to people because we love God and we love people. It's not difficult. It's actually for your generation. This is a very hip thing to do, right? There's a lot of places like spiritual centers and different things. So your generation, millennials, are really into spiritual things. So you know you can share with your friends, and your friends will think you're really cool. Maybe? Right? Um, And uh, here's what we're going to do at retreat. We're going to do Lectio Divina, which is meditating on the Word. Uh, We'll do different prayers, like meditative prayers and recollection prayers. We're going to do the uh, prayer examen. We'll do nature walk, uh, praying and recognizing God's uh, creation and a different exercise for it. Uh, So we're engaging in that. And... uh, and, uh, this is one part that we're going to learn a lot. Number two, uh, inward is uh, discipline or uh, practice is prayer, and I'm going to quote some of what Foster said. Richard Foster says, "To pray is to change. If you're not changing, not your surroundings. You know, we tend to pray for our surroundings to change. God, I pray this person's nicer to me. That's what we usually pray." But really, to pray is to change yourself. God changes you. So he says, to pray is to change, because we come to the heartbeat of God, and we can't help ourselves, but desire to be conformed by who God is. Um, Number three, fasting. Now, this is a discipline that we need to rediscover. Uh, John Wesley, who we follow our tradition after, John Wesley said, some have exalted religious fasting beyond all scriptures and reason, and others have utterly disregarded it. Either you really boast about it, or you don't do it at all. And, uh, and Richard Foster, had, he, did a, he did a research. From 1861 to 1954, he could not find a single book on fasting. It's almost like church ceased to do any kind of fasting, or talk about fasting. Because it's kind of bad rap about oh everyone's trying to show off and all of that. So church has ceased doing it, and it's definitely something that we need to reclaim because it's biblical. It helps to center ourselves on God. And here's what uh, Foster said that clicked with me. He says fasting reveals the things that control us. When you're hungry, you're hungry, right? Who's hangry when you're hungry? Right? All of us are. You don't eat. You say, hey, I haven't ate. Don't talk to me. Because all sorts of your emotions and stuffs going to come out. Right? He says, it's not that you're prone to anger because you're hungry. It's that anger is your issue and it comes out when you're hungry. Or jealousy. So, when you're hungry, when you're fasting, it reveals who you are, what you're strong, what controls you, the emotions that you control you. So it's not just hangry. It's you, you have an issue. I have an issue with anger. It comes out when I'm hungry. And Esther knows plenty about it. Um, and kids too, a lot of kids. So it's good. Fasting reveals the things that control us so we can take it to God. right? So we can take it to God. Uh, it says in the psalm, I humble my soul with fasting. Fasting reveals who you are so you humble yourself oh I'm a this is me <laughs> and you feel this way you come back to people I'm really sorry I was just really hungry it, it's not really me but in fact that was you mm-hmm. that's that's you uncontrolled and uh so you know I humble my soul with fasting fasting helps us to keep our balance in life too uh, you realize we don't need I don't need this stuff I don't need to eat this stuff I don't you know, it's people who fast, playing games or playing, you know, whatever, social media. A lot of people do this with a Lent season, right? You realize that I don't need a bunch of this stuff. It give you gives us balance in life. Fasting, I think it's something that a discipline that we are missing out and we definitely get back into. So guess what? At the retreat, <laughs> I thought we might do yes. actual fasting of meals, yes. but... I'm afraid that we might not get along if we do that. <laughs> <laughs> we might be upset at each other. So, But we are going to fast on snacks, oh, phones, which phones. Oh, yeah. and juice. So at the retreat, we will have no snacks, we'll have fruit, which <laughs> is really healthy, and no juice, we'll have water, uh, we'll have milk, uh, but milk and water is all we get at the retreat. <laughs> Um, you you, you're talking you about it? phones you, you will I'll, I will have a basket where for a certain amount of time um, you will turn in your phones and um, you can't have your you bring your phones because you need your phones most of you can't survive without it bring your phones uh, but do not bring anything else that has screen <laughs> unless you bring Kindle Kindle's okay phone's okay no laptops no iPad there will be no screen and I told Hannah she will have no screen time at the retreat Right? If she's not getting any, you're not getting any. right? So no screen time. We're going to fast on screen, cool. snacks, and juice. And I'm going to have another surprise for you at the oh. retreat. Oh. 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 Alright. Number four, uh, inward discipline. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Number four is a study. Study, you know, is actual discipline. And uh, we began on this by me... Providing you a book a month, right? Starting is God said it's a great commandment that we love God with our mind. We need to be learning. Um, there is a books that help us to be formational in our lives, right? And so these books, I'm gonna have these books at the retreat. Um, and if you have any, you know, bring them. If you have your own book that you wanna read. Look at there, Eugene Peterson praying with Jesus. It's got every day a little bit of Jesus sayings and whatnot. This is mine um, <laughs> that I go through. But here are the books: Cross in a Life uh, by Mahoney, and this is a um, who someone gave it to me. Okay, short, right? It's uh, big letters, not long, a lot of spaces. Uh, here's a classic. This is A. W. Tozer, Pursuit of God. This is a classic. It's you know it's something that people. I read this time to time because it's such a classic and it's short. You could read this in in an hour, right? Um, I have other Christ, uh, the basically classics, Foundation uh, uh, Christian Religion by uh, this is a, a Pascal. and this also is a short read. Selection from Spurgeon sermon, another short classic book. Imitation of Christ, uh, classic by Campus. This is the one book that changed uh, St. Francis. Um, so, he's short. Uh, St. Augustine, uh, Foundation of Faith. Other short books. With Christ in the School of Prayer, Andrew Murray. This is a lot of people who talks and writes. Richard Foster, this was changing book, his life-changing book for Richard Foster. So, this is also short. Uh, if you want to go really dive into something, this is uh, Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship. And it's a little more, uh, but definitely a book that you can finish while you're at the retreat. And uh, I got rule of uh, the rule of St. Benedict in English. If you are curious, <laughs> um, it's pretty short. And uh, most of you, all of you engage in this, Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Uh, you will all be washing dishes, Without talking to one another, practicing the presence of God. This is, uh, uh, Brother Lawrence uh, became known because he practiced, he was a dishwasher at a monastery. He washed dishes, scrubbed floors, and he said, I'm worshiping God in the presence when I'm washing dishes. And, and so he, uh, this is uh, just a short thing that he wrote, um, really helpful. So, books, you know, on the newsletter, I recommend books, um, and I hope that other people can recommend And uh, we worship, it's one of the disciplines that we have to engage in, with our mind, studying. Okay, next. Um, Outward disciplines, Number, uh, it's simplicity. And um, this is us in outwardly living a simple life. So, this is an inward reality. When we are in the presence of God, we are transformed. It shows in outward that we don't need all this stuff. We can live our life simple. Actually, you guys, your generation is really good at this. Millennials are the ones that like to keep things simple, which which is good. Uh, not Gen Xers. Um, before Gen Xers, boomers. yeah, yeah, Boomers likes to keep big houses and a lot of junk. Um, your parents, if you have older parents, too, they are. That's why they have all the junk in the house, uh-huh. right? Because they come. Their previous to Boomers come from. Um, the Depression generation, so they came from that, so they like to keep a lot of things. Your generation likes to keep things simple. Um, Foster says, "Simplicity is freedom, duplicity is bondage." So having a lot means we are bond by it. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter seven verse thirty says, "God made man simple. Man's complex problems are his own devising. We make our lives complicated." simplicity, a simple life. So, at the retreat, you know, try to not bring so much stuff, pack light, simple, you know, pack light, try to practice this, and I think this is a, one thing that you guys are actually not bad at, are naturally uh, good at. Number six, solitude. It's what we're going to practice a lot at the retreat. Being alone, people are afraid to, to be alone, because they're feeling that being alone is lonely. Right? But loneliness is inner emptiness. A lot of people who say I'm lonely, they're empty inside. Solitude is inner fulfillment. That's what Foster said. We're being filled inside and that's what solitude is. So you're alone and quiet so that we can hear God. It doesn't it's not just sitting in a quiet and being alone, but we actually have to open ourselves mm-hmm. up to hear God that's what makes it solitude. Uh, not simply refraining from talking, but actually listen. And why is it so hard? You know, in the break, I see you guys, you guys are talking a lot. Um, we like to talk and be with people because by talking, we control. right? By communicating, we, contr- we can manage and control others by talking. If we're not talking and just being quiet, we're not in control. We feel out of control. Like, who's going to say this? Who's going to do that? Um, solitude is a practice that helps us to move away from depending so much on communicating with words. So we'll practice that and um, see how that goes. Um, plenty of time for solitude at the retreat. Submission. The One way to practice submission at the retreat is please follow along the guidelines I give you when I say no screen time, no screen time. So submit uh, to that, and it'll be beneficial to you. Service. Uh, this is one thing that we do all the time at Life Light Retreat. Uh, I encourage you to serve in my backyard, and uh, uh, you guys do through Young Life, and serve each other. Um, but, you know, Foster puts us good, something for us to think about. Uh, even though we have served a lot, we do serve a lot, he says there is a self-righteous service. And a Uh, self-righteous service, then the real, true service, the difference is here, self-righteous service comes through human effort. It's all about my doing. Self-righteous service is impressed with the big deal, important work. Oh, no one's going to notice that. I'm not going to do that. Oh, that's a big project. I want to be part of that, right? Self-righteous service requires external rewards. What am I going to get for it? What's my reward? Self-righteous service is highly concerned about results. Self-righteous service picks and chooses whom to serve. So you can say, like, oh, I serve all the time. But you, like, pick and choose who you want to serve and what you want to do. Self-righteous service is affected by moods and whims. I don't feel like doing that right now. Self-righteous service is temporary and insensitive to the person you're serving to. Something for all of us to reflect on, have I served with self-righteous, self-righteousness? And self-righteousness service fractures community. It destroys community. On the other hand, true service builds Humility. You know, there is really nothing you can do to, you, to become humble. <laughs> it's, you know, that if you try to be humble, you're not humble, right? You can't really make yourself to be humble. Um, if you talk about being humble, that you're not humble, right? And I come catch myself, you know, I don't really try to be recognized by this. And I realize i just been boasting about humility, um, which means you're not humble, right? So how do you become humble? How do you attain humility? It says, by serving. When nobody sees it, not the self-righteous, but by true service, we can become humble. And I really like this, what Foster said. He says, the goal is not to choose to serve, but to be a servant. It just becomes who you are. You're not choosing to serve anybody. It's who you are. I'm a servant. I serve. That's what I do. And it leads us to be uh, humility. you have plenty of chance to serve each other at the retreat. And uh, I hope that we can uh, engage in that. Corporate disciplines. Confession. Confess your sins to one another. This is something that we, I don't really know how to apply this, engage in yet. But I know that instead of confessing, just saying, I'm sorry, I did this. We want to move beyond that by saying, I need you, God, to help me. Not do this or do this and do better, right? So we will. The prayer examine has this confession element to it, which we will engage in. Um, number ten is worship. We need to talk about that and guidance. We are doing that. we um, are being guided through the preaching and the preaching, and also we have a thing going that I can't really talk about. So <laughs> um, number two, celebration. The end of Christian practice, end result is celebration. We celebrate. And uh, we celebrate because we have been obedient. Obedience brings out the true joy of celebration. So I think we celebrate a lot in this community. We do Thanksgiving dinner, at Christmas, and we make fun of each other a lot. When we were at a snow trip, whenever things were going wrong at our snow trip uh, this past week, we said, Randy! <laughs> stop it, Randy! <laughs> hey, Randy. Yeah. Yeah, that was you know, and we make fun of each other by doing that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we're we're, it's a joke. So okay, (laughs) disciplines. Everyone, any questions? Um, How can we skip over worship? We we know plenty. We do it well, so nothing that we need to engage in. Yeah, but if you have questions, for ask me later. Yeah, but worshiping is this is what we're doing, worshiping. Having God in our center. And we worship with Jesus, to Jesus, God, um, something we I think we do well. Alright, um, Christian practice is fueled by the transformation and vice versa. It fuels transformation. Transformation is a result of the presence of God. And the presence of God is listening to God and noticing God. <clears throat> How do you know God is there, right? How do you know it's God? This is important for us. When we go off in the retreat, how do I know if this is God, right? How do I seek God? How do I find God? How does God present Himself? Um, there are not everything we label label is God. We need discernment, right? Because uh, there's a danger we we make everything. Oh, this must be God, or we make nothing of God, right? It's either. God or not at all, or, or is it really God? Is it my voice in my thoughts, or is it my mom talking? Is it Dan talking uh, in my head? What is it? Is it God or is it not? Right? We need to discern the voice of God and also be able to seek God's presence. Uh, I share this joke with Esther. There's a guy. There's a joke. Um, this guy is um, running late. He's busy and he's driving and he needs to find a parking spot and uh, oh man i got to find a parking spot so he prays to god god if you give me a parking spot right now i start going to church right he prays and boom there's a parking spot opens he says oh never mind god i found one <laughs> so he just parks right so the joke is that like how do you know if that was god or oh no never mind god i found one anyway so i don't need your help we don't know the it's a trick is how do i know if this is god or this is not god um <clears throat> I I have a five ways of noticing God. Number one, the first thing is mystical experiences, the mystical God experiences. Something that's strange, something that's out of ordinary, supernatural. Um, it happened, and it's something that I can't explain. I encounter God, and it was a I don't know what it was, but I can't explain. But it was God, right? It says that's 30% of population experiences something supernatural. Raise your hand if you experience something in your life that was mystical. And you say, that must mean God, right? Um, it says 60% of people senses the presence of God. Right? I don't know what it was, and it doesn't need to be Christian. It's just general population said, I think that was God. People will say that. And those are the mystical God experiences. It's there. Um, some of you, we had you look back in your life, right, in the past, and I know that something came in, came up. Is oh, I realized that must have been God. That was strange. That was mystical. I had my mystical God experiences, and I have heard from like Young Life kids and other people that I engage with about their mystical experiences. God presents himself in a mysterious way, somehow. I know her mystical experiences of God encountering um, <laughs> at church. Um, some of you share with me, too. So, Number one, mystical experience. So number two, not only in mystical, supernatural way, God is also in the ordinary. This is, um, this is what we want to get into, is finding God in ordinary. In our everyday, ordinary life. At work, at home, in school, with friends, with parents, with siblings. God is in the, in the ordinary. That's why we're going to do the prayer of examine, which says, God, I think you're there. I think you're there. In the very ordinary thing, God is there. The Brother Lawrence book. When you're washing dishes, doing stuff, God is there. How can we notice God in the ordinary? Number three, the power of community. God is, shows himself through each other in the Christian community, in the church. Uh, Benedictine, St. Benedict, he uh, so believed That God is in every person, right? Jesus dwells in every person. That a stranger walks into the monastery, you know what he did? He lay flat (laughs) and bowing down to every person that shows up to the monastery because he so believed that there is Christ in everybody. Uh, Within us, Christ dwells, we can encounter God through one another, through the uh, community. Uh, Number five, uh, number four, in the written word. Bible is the key to a transformational pr- uh, process. We are we notice God most in the Word of God in the Bible, and we do that a lot in this community. We read Bible a lot every Sunday and Bible study, and uh, we are doing a lot better. Unlike the other people, um, like the, the issue was we live in a biblically illiterate generations. It happened from uh, Gen boomers, right? Boomers in 60s, they're rebellious, so they stopped going to church. And uh, really, it started the death of mainline church. Um, so Bible never became part of their world. And Gen Xers, my generation, kind of continued doing that, but with more rebellious like entitlement. Um, and we showed, oh, we know more than you do, but we don't need to know the Bible. Now, the millennials, you guys, are continuing on that, but you're actually the best... In the past five generations, um, you are more spiritual and more wanting to learn than any previous generation, five generations. So we're on a good path. Uh, We encounter God the most through the scripture. That's why we're going to do Lectio Divina. We're going to do the meditative reading, trying to capture, trying to notice God's presence in the scripture. Uh, Number five, creation, culture, and creativity. I mean, we can talk a lot about this, but we know that God, we can notice God through cre- cre- creativity of artists, music, uh, nature, and uh, also in our culture. You watch movies, you, you see a lot of God in the culture, right? Uh, Superman <laughs> is my favorite. Superman is basically the story of the gospel. Father sending son, right? Um, you know the son, Superman, dying for humanity, caring for humanity. The Lois Lane is the uh, epitome of human being. You know the proud, arrogant, um, <laughs> and so just poor in the way, so seeking and searching and Superman for some somehow. If you watch the original Superman, Lois Lane is not pretty at all. And you can think, why is he going after this girl? She's ugly, right? <laughs> But what it meant for the, 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 the writer of Superman, what, it, what they meant it to be was God chasing after humanity that is not perfect, far from perfect. Through all its errors and faults, Superman chooses this woman and is consistent in loving and rescuing this woman. So you watch these movies and books and comics and TV shows, God is everywhere. We see the gospel a human being desiring to be loved, desiring to be accepted. And we find it and it's really the glimpse of it is God. So, God, noticing God, Richard Peace, uh He says, the problem isn't that God isn't there. The problem is us. We just don't know how to notice God's presence in our lives. And this is it's my hope that through the retreat and exercise we're going to do that we'll, we'll get better at it. We'll learn how to notice God. now, how do we know? Is it really God? This is important, right? Because some people would claim that, no, that was God. I think I heard God. Uh, how do you know it's God? Um, you know, a story like, you know, I, I prayed and uh, I felt some strange things and I got off the plane and my plane crashed and I survived. Um, I've heard a story of that a woman claiming that she prayed and she felt like she needed to get off the plane. Was it really God? And the question is like, what about the other passengers, right? Uh, was it really God? Uh, you guys been to Chalox, the Filipino restaurant on mission uh, in the City area? Chalox, the, the owner of Chalox, she prayed and she got a sense that God wanted her to quit her well-paying job in Silicon Valley and start a restaurant. And, uh, and she did. She quit her job and started a restaurant. How do you know if it was God's voice, Right? Was it really God? Um, I have a friend who heard from God. He claims that he heard from God to divorce his wife and leave his, his uh, children. He said, well, I, got, I heard from my prayer that this is what I needed to, and go and be with this woman. Was it really God? Like, how do you know? Is it really God? Um, you know, like, I asked, there's a like, Korean singer who became known, and he says he encountered God from, like, he's so light. Shining, and he was blinded by this light. And there was a ray of light, light, and he he said, "That was God moment." I became Christian after that. Like, okay, how do you know it was really God, right? Um, You guys know Wilson. Uh, Some of you guys know uh, Wilson. Wilson shared one of the moment that he had a mystical experience of God was it was raining, and he didn't have anything to cover. He prayed to God, God make the rain stop, and rain stopped. Right? How do you know if that was God? How do we know? So, we can only have talk about some of the things to help us navigate through. Um, red flags. There are three red flags. First of all, avoid a cult. Um, you guys know that If it's anything, any organized group that is making you do weird stuff, you know, Kool-Aid, um, all of, you know, all of that. Um, if there's an evil in it, you can sense it. Avoid the curt. Second, spiritual pride. If I say, oh, I can handle God, and you're proud anyone who says with a pride and boasting of it, this is God. I can hear God. God tells me directly and no one else. That's a red flag, right? Avoid, number three, spiritual power over others. Whoever says they heard from God and use it to practice power over others, red flag, right? any organized group with evil doings, um, any spiritual pri- anyone with spiritual pride, anyone with power want to use it as a power over others, um, those are red flags. Uh, don't think this is that easy. I've seen good, you know, long-time Christians fall into cult and start following guys like Jim, you know, guys like Jim Johnson, you know, different cult leaders. My aunt did it. And they've been like, you know, my aunts were like in LA for like two years in this little warehouse living because they follow somebody who says Jesus is coming. This is 1989, 1990. So, these are red flags, right? Um, there's also a testing ground, and this is important for us. As you experience noticing God, there's a testing ground. And first is the word of God. If wherever you hear from God, And hearing God isn't audible hearing. Hearing God is the presence of God. Whatever you experience in in the presence of God, it needs to be tested through the Word of God. Does it contradict the Bible? God told me to jump off the bridge. That contradicts the Bible clearly, right? Like my friend, God told me to divorce my wife and go after this woman. That contradicts the Bible, right? So the testing ground number one, is it, in line with the Word of God. Number two, the community of God. Bring it to the community. I sense God telling me this. What about you? Can we pray together about this? Community is there for us to sort through, to talk about it, and to help us recognize um, what uh, what God says to individually and as a a community. Um, Number three, fruit of God. Does this result in the fruit of spirit, in helping others, in a good ways. And, and the best one is comes from our tradition, the Wesley's quadrilateral. Quadri- <laughs> and Wesley is actually known for this and is respected by everyone. He, he says, well, here are the four things we need to test against. Scripture is the foremost thing, Reason? <laughs> it has to make sense, right? Is it reasonable that you jump off the bridge? It's not reasonable that you jump off the bridge. right? Don't do it, right? Is it reasonable that I eat this much of food? It's not, right? Is it reasonable that I do this to my friends and family? It's not, right? Reason. Number three, tradition. We have long tradition to test these things against. How did other people deal with this in the past? What's the, uh, what can we learn from it? Experience. We value how God has shaped us through our past, so we examine the through the experience, and these are the testing ground that we know. It's not enough to tell you; it's a lot already. Um, but I'm going to stop right there. Any questions? You guys ready to jump in when we get to the retreat? Well, here's the thing. I don't know how much we'll get to do when we're at the retreat, but we'll spend time being in solitude, and you'll spend time um, bringing yourself to solitude. It may not happen. It may happen. It's not really um, up to you. All we can do is... Do what we can do, which means just follow the instruction of the exercises, right? A lot of people say, and this may happen to some of you guys, or all of us, who knows? We'll we'll be there, we'll be praying, and we will hear nothing. Sometimes I spend my solitude, and uh, there's nothing there. And it feels awkward. (laughs) It's like you were talking to God, but there's nothing coming back. and You don't even feel anything. It's just emptiness. And some of you may feel that way. You go off, you do, and nothing comes to you. Nothing but distraction and nothing. Or you don't have a distraction, but there's just no God. And what I know and is that that's normal. Um, how many Psalms do you read that says, God, where are you? Sometimes God is just, God doesn't show up for whatever reason. God is sometimes just silent. And our job is not that because, we need to understand, because we do this thing doesn't mean God comes to us and we feel the sense of presence. His presence. Sometimes we don't. It's not in our control. And, and the whole thing is to accept that this isn't in our control. This is in my control. I just do. I just put myself out there. And sometimes God may be silent. But that's normal. We just carry on. So that's my last thing I want to share with you guys. As we engage, this may not work. Feel like you might sense like this isn't working for me. I'm having a hard time. I'm not getting anything. Um, that's okay. That's normal. Sometimes God is silent, but he's shaping us through it. We trust God. Because who we know as, who we know Him as, we know God. He's trustworthy, He's faithful, He cares for us. He wants more than us to be with us. We have to trust in that. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you would help us to be ready to engage and help us to trust in you. Help us to be obedient and to submit ourselves. But we also pray that you would show up and bless us with your presence, that we would be hooked in, in being in your presence, that we would our lives would never be satisfied again unless we are in your presence. We thank you for the, all this stuff that you provided through other faithful followers of yours, and we pray that you would help us to engage.